Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host Nick Pilato. Tonight we got a special show for you. We're bringing on former NFL and AFL cornerback Eric Crocker. You have definitely seen him if you're on Twitter and you've been consuming draft content this draft season. If you haven't, I don't know what the hell you're doing. We're going to let you know where you can find his work. Besides that, if you haven't, but he's putting up unbelievable breakdowns both on Twitter, on his Patreon, on his YouTube, on his podcast, which we're all going to get to. Of this draft class, the cornerbacks he's done some great work on, the receivers he's done some great work on. We're going to talk to him about both of those classes tonight, but also we're going to talk to him a little bit about the nuances of playing the cornerback position because we rarely do get this opportunity. I've said OCU and you're on the past and former NFL players, but we've talked with them a little bit more about the Giants. And with Croc, we're going to talk more about actually playing the position of cornerback in the NFL what that goes into all that. And then we're also going to touch a little bit on Darnay Holmes, a Giants player we're all really excited about heading into year two, who really surprised a lot of people with the impact he made as a rookie fourth-round pick. And that's someone who Eric Crocker had a chance to evaluate last year. He's a, he's a Cali guy, as we'll get to in a moment. So he has a pretty good feel for all those Cali prospects. But what's going on, Croc? Let, let the people know where they can find all your work and let us know how you're doing tonight, man. Oh, I'm doing good, man. You know, obviously you brought up Rise Athletics, and, I, you know, I train athletes here at the southeast part of Arkansas, which is kind of considered like the armpit of the United States. <laughs> and me as a Californian, uh, you know, it's definitely interesting being here, but it's actually, like, refreshing, like, coming to a place where it's, like, a much slower uh, pace and uh, a lot cheaper to live and, like, uh, a little bit lighter on the gun laws and everything. So it's pretty <laughs> it's fun, you know, being here and just kind of living a different lifestyle, but... I definitely have stuck with all my football stuff, and you know, as you brought up, I have the you know the Strike and Gold podcast with the 49ers. I have my YouTube account where you know I just started actually using the YouTube to kind of like talk more about sports, and then I have my Patreon account, which pretty much every prospect we'll talk about today, I'm pretty sure I have um, broken down videos in depth and everything. That's Patreon.com/slash/CrockTalk. So yeah, you guys make sure you guys check that out. Yeah, and then also you can follow Croc. On Twitter at Eric underscore Crocker, you'll see Crocky as his name with the little blue check mark. And listen, people, fans of this podcast are the exact people who will love your work, Croc, because these guys come to us for the X's and O's breakdowns. That's what we do, all 22 film podcasts during the season. And Nick has dove in a lot into these prospects, so I'm excited to hear you both chop it up a little bit. And I've also done my fair share as well. But let's start by just breaking down what goes into playing the cornerback position. This is something that you know very well. And my first question to you would be, as a corner on an island, just take us through what your process was or kind of what you feel is an idea for the process you had at the line of scrimmage. What are you watching for an opposing receiver, things of that nature? I think overall, I mean, like, just in general, you have to have, like, just a different type of mindset to live on that island, like, just to play the cornerback position. Like, you know, one false step, and it could be six. Now, you're not thinking thinking that, right? Like, you, when you line up, you really feel like, man, I'm better than the player across from me. And you have to have that mindset, and you have to play with that confidence um, throughout the game. You have to understand that everything is not going to go great, right? You're going to give up some catches. I know fans hate to see defensive backs give up catches, but <laughs> we know it's going to happen, especially in that pass-happy league now. But I think for the most part, um, it's just like really playing with a ton of confidence. So that that's the first thing. The other thing is really kind of knowing your opponent. And 
I think sometimes people feel like you have to kind of overanalyze the actual receiver that you're going against, but really it's more so the cor- the coordinator. Like, that's who you're in a battle with. And you have to understand, like, based off, you know, alignments, splits, um, tendencies with, you know, their play calling. All coordinators, man, like, they're going to call their stuff. Like, they're going to call their stuff, they're going to call their plays, and they all have, like, these tails. And um, if you can kind of get that, it'll help you – be able to kind of play a little bit faster because you can anticipate a little bit more of what's coming. So um, I think really knowing the, who the coordinator is that you're playing against, that really can help your game a whole lot. Now, depending on the cornerback, maybe he's not a student of the game in that way, and he wants to play more off natural athleticism or just focus more on the receiver he's playing against. But I think that's when sometimes you see guys uh, play kind of be up and down. Yeah, Croc, to touch on the coordinator thing, did you find it difficult to go up against coordinators that used a lot of pre-snap movement, a lot of pre-snap motion? Or did that kind of like switch assignments for, for cornerbacks on the back end? Does that happen a lot for the defenders? So I only went um, up against it for a little bit in like preseason, but like I will say like throughout like training camp and all that type of stuff, oh man, like it is tough because this is the part that people don't understand. Based off your the coverage call, uh, like you can play a bunch like a bunch, um, you know, like alignment, say, you know, receivers that are bunched up, say there's there's three receivers to one side or two receivers in the tight end or whatever. It, depending on the coverage, like if it's a like if it's a sky, you'll play it one way. If it's a fire zone cover three, you'll play it another way. If it's man coverage, you play it another way. And you have to know at the snap of a finger because it might not it might start off as just a stack and then maybe a guy motions over to that side or maybe the three guy is a running back and based off of those things it changes and your in in your head you have to process these things extremely fast to know how you're going to play it and really be on the same pl- same page with your teammates otherwise you'll have blown com- blown coverages and assignments so um those things man they average they they I mean average they happen extremely fast or what if you they line up in a bunch and then they motion one guy away now it's a stack now what do I do you know what I'm saying? And that can be different depending on, again, is it is it cover one? Is it cover two? Is it a fire zone three? Is it sky three? Like, you know, now how do I play? And you have to really be able to adjust at the snap of the fingers. I think that's the tough part that people probably don't truly understand. Like, you have to identify these things extremely quick. Yeah, and you mentioned a lot of great points there. And I think what's most interesting to me is that it sounds like there's a lot on the plate for cornerbacks when an opposing offensive coordinator uses a lot of pre-snap motion, a lot of bunch, a lot of stack formations. This is something the Giants actually, on offense, did a terrible job of last year. Jason Garrett, Giants offensive coordinator, was among the lowest rate in the league as far as pre-snap motion goes, and it's something that he will need to fix moving forward if he wants to take this offense to a next step. But another thing I thought you mentioned that was interesting is the confidence factor for cornerbacks and what goes into the mental processing of playing the position. I think Giants fans experience this couple years ago when they drafted a player out of Georgia, DeAndre Baker, in the first round, who honestly had really good tape in the SEC. I mean, you watched him in the SEC, and he was locked down in man coverage, but when he got to the NFL, he was asked to play in a system he probably wasn't used to, that probably asked him to do a lot more mental processing. You saw him not keep up with that, and then you saw his confidence level go down, so I thought that was really interesting that you brought that up, but one other question I had for you about playing the position would be, when you're now evaluating these new cornerback prospects, guys that are coming into the into the draft now and coming into the NFL now, what's kind of the one plus trait that you look for first when evaluating a corner? Oh man, I, I love actually talking about this. And really a lot of what I've kind of gone off of is like myself. I use myself as like a base and like a starting point. And um, I understand like who I was, right? Okay. A six one, almost six foot two corner, you know, hovering around 200 pounds I understood that, you know, I was a four or five, five guy in a 40 yard dash. Um, I had good athleticism, not great. And I use that as a starting point to understand how a cornerback like me feels, how a guy that has better movement skills with my size, how he feels, or I can identify that really quick with like his feet or change of direction, how smaller guys move or things that I wish I had from a smaller guy. And then I take all that and look at the receiver and I can evaluate right away how a receiver makes all those different style of cornerbacks feel. So from the standpoint of, you know, is he threatening the guy vertically? Is he able to push a guy or, you know, is he getting them to open up? I understand those things like 
at the snap of fingers just from the moment I kind of turn on the film. So those are things that I can identify like really quick. I think that like if I had to kind of narrow it down to one thing that I kind of identify with the cornerbacks like right away that I want to note first is I want to know what type of like mentality this guy has. That's probably the first thing. And then from there, I just want to see like, is he a fluid player, right? Like, does he have good feet? Change of direction, his hips, like, and you kind of sum it all up. That's probably the second thing I look for. And I would say the next thing is probably, like, can he run, right? And, like, can he run? Like, there's different levels to it. There's some guys that are extremely explosive, and you can see that jump out right away like a Caleb Farley, right? Or there's some guys that can run, but maybe not great, like, you know, uh, Patrick Sertain, where on film you can see he moves more at one speed. So those are things that I'm, like, looking to identify, you know, right away. I'm guessing just by some of this, you also are a fan of J.C. Horn from South Carolina, just from the confidence standpoint, because that guy, that guy's going to be a jar, I feel like, in the NFL. Yeah, so a, a guy like J.C. Horn, like, he has some intangibles that you just Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions. And now they want to help you even more. With a Credit Karma Money Spend account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. Credit Karma Money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot, and your Instant Karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Open your FDIC-insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll automatically be entered to win $1 million. Right now, visit creditkarma.com backslash win money to open your free account and start winning instant karma. Go to creditkarma.com backslash win money to sign up for free and start winning. That's creditkarma.com slash win money. Instant karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Incorporated. Member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. Can't teach, right? Like you, you can teach um, technique, you know, and that's like why a lot of people are really high on, like, say, Patrick Sertain. But Horn has some of these things that you just cannot teach. Like his just his uh, like work ethic, right? Like he's like kind of a maniac when it comes to that. Like his ability to like not take any crap from anybody. Like his alpha mentality that he had coming into South Carolina as a true freshman and really like coming in and being like the alpha in the cornerback room and being the leader of that defense. Like those are things that typically don't happen for a 17, 18-year-old coming into college, especially at like the SEC level. You saw with him, you see it with like a guy like Jalen Ramsey. He was like that as well. Jamal Adams, he was like that. Um, Well, he has like that kind of special trait. And when I look at him, like a lot of people put a lot of things on athleticism, which he is terrific. Like, right, you know, you saw how he tested, tested very well, jumped through the roof, did all those things. But sometimes – like, it's not the athleticism that makes somebody great. Sometimes they're just wired different. And you see a guy like, I don't know, you see a guy like Richard Sherman. Like, what makes Richard Sherman great? It's not that he's just the best athlete out of everybody. It's everything else. It's, it's some type of mental makeup that he has that makes him just, uh, uh, you know, just better than everybody else and has been one of the best cornerbacks over this last decade. So um, that's kind of some of the things that I see with J.C. Horn. Nice. One other thing I would ask you before we kind of turn the page to prospects and maybe player on the Giants I wanted to talk to you about would be how important do you think it is to study opposing wide receiver tendencies? You mentioned it's important to study coordinator tendencies, but how about wide receiver ten- tendencies in their releases off the line of scrimmage? No, I, I think those are definitely important. Like, you know, especially if you're a team that's probably going to run more man, you can pick up things whether a guy has like, you know, his which leg he has line, um, up. You know, sometimes they'll give tails on, you know, if they're running a slant or if they're, you know, running a go. Maybe a guy that, you know, digs harder if he's going vertical, but then when he's going to stop, he kind of raises up at a certain point, and maybe you can get a a tip on that. So there are certain tendencies that you definitely can pick up from the receiver, um, and obviously it just depends on what type of scheme that you're you're running. But I think more so than not, the still the coordinator will tell you a little bit more about what the receiver is going to do just based off his, you know, his line alignment, his splits. And the receiver, he can only do what he's told to do. And a lot of times, you know, obviously that's told from the coordinator. So um, still the coordinator, I think that's the guy I would probably look to uh, first and foremost. Yeah, uh, one more question before we dive into Darnay Holmes, and it's just about the difference between playing slot and corner. Obviously, when you're playing slot, you're more on an island. There's two-way goes. But could you uh, 
possibly maybe highlight something that really uh, kind of forces the slot defender to just be unique to those boundary defenders? Is it athleticism? Is it something else as to how well they have to, uh, or how just difficult it is for them to go up against really talented and really fast guys, like in the number three spot in a three-by-one set? Well, well, if you you notice, most of these guys that are like, you know, the nickel defensive backs, the slot defenders and whatnot, like typically they're smaller guys, right? Like their their change of direction, their feet, their ability to play more in space is typically a little bit better. Like now, why is it better, right? I think that's what you know the the big question is. And let's let's say like let's take me for for example, right? Like somebody that's six one, six two corner, for whatever reason, like my strides are just always going to be longer. My strides are always going to be longer. So that's going to hurt me a little bit in my change of direction, being able to put my foot in the ground and go the other way. Because for every one long step that I take. A smaller receiver that's maybe 5'10", 5'11", and shiftier in space, he might take two or three steps for every one long stride that I take. You know, so sometimes that hurts my kind of change of direction and whatnot. Well, when you look at a guy like Holmes who, you know, doesn't have those really long legs like that, he's able to change direction and be able to, you know, move a little bit quicker and be able to react a little bit better. And even if his – we can have maybe the same type of twitch, but just based off of how we're built – he's still going to be able to get from point A to point B in a short area a little bit better. And when you're playing in that slot, you really have to be able to be able, you have to real, excuse me, you have to really be able to change direction and go one way than the other at the snap of a finger because there is so much space both ways. Yeah, and that's really interesting stuff, Croc. I think as we transition to Darnay Holmes, when the Giants selected Holmes in round four, I mean, I tweeted out, I thought he was their best value pick. A lot of people were skeptical of that pick. He played on the outside his entire career at UCLA, and yet he started immediately in the slot, never looked back for the Giants as a rookie. And if you watch the tape, he was really impressive during his season. The numbers aren't going to always show it, especially for a slot cornerback. But when you watch him both in run support and coverage and the whole package, he was great. And In 2018, his film at UCLA was phenomenal, by the way, before he played at Hurt in 2019. So I want to dive a little bit into your own personal evaluation of Holmes when he entered the 2020 draft and what you think his ceiling might be at the NFL level. Yeah, man, I watched one game, and or I mean, I watched a bunch of games, but there was one in particular I remember that sticks out, and I want to say it was Oklahoma. Yep, Marquis. Yeah, those guys kind of the Oklahoma receivers kind of gave him a rough time and no, not even that game was it. It was, I want to say last year with like CD lamb and those guys. Okay. And, um, you know, the one thing with Darnay Holmes, I just remember saying like, man, I would like to see a little bit more natural, like vertical speed, you know, like when you're playing on the outside, like you're going to have to definitely like guard the entire field. Even if you're in like a cover three, you got to be able to be fast enough to play, you know, a lot of these teams want to press from cover three and be able to like bail out and still be over the, be able to stay on top of receivers and you want a guy that just naturally has a little bit more like explosive you know speed being able to run vertical guys to where he's not kind of challenging his own movements you know and things like that and um I was watching him and I think right away I was able to say you know what I think he's a guy that would be better suited to play in the slot now I did like his ability I know initially in like my top 10 rankings and I don't remember exactly where I had him like towards the end but I know my initial ones I had him as a top 10 corner in this class, and I think that he had that, you know, that type of ability. So, you know, to see him go in the fourth round definitely wasn't a surprise at all. I thought that was a good area for him, and like you said, like a good um, value pick for what he uh, potentially can be. And he, he's a scrappy guy. He's a little, he's a scrappy guy. Um, you know, a lot of those guys at UCLA, they're kind of, I don't want to say phasing out, but they're not getting a whole bunch of guys like that anymore. So he was kind of like one of the last of the dying breeds to kind of go through UCLA and have that type of mentality. Yeah, he was a five-star recruit. And if you go back to the Giants back in 2018, they started an undrafted kid from Penn State named Grant Haley. And there was just a lot of liabilities with the vert slot, to be honest, the slot vert. So it was really good to see Darnay Holmes step in and kind of sure that up in 2020, I should right. say. But um, in 2021, we want to uh, transition to this wide receiver class a little bit. And, I mean, it's incredibly deep with Jalen Waddle, Jamar Chase, Devonta Smith, Rashad Bateman. I'm sure you're well familiar with them all, Eric. But uh, we got to ask, who is your wide receiver one in this class in Waddle? So I've kind of, like, I don't want to say I've gone away from labeling guys wide receiver one, two, three. Um, I'm trying to go more towards tiers 
of guys just because it's like, you know, when you release some rankings on Twitter, man, like you get attacked, yeah. you know, for for having an opinion. I'm there like, damn, man, I'm on Twitter, my friend. Get get used to it. I'm like, man, I'm tired of getting attacked by you guys just because, you know, and it's like, and then they make you kind of like turn against guys. And it's like, no, I like this guy, but let's not act like every one of these guys are perfect prospects. Right. Um, I guess, you know, you're asking, like, if I could have one guy, which guy would I want? And the answer to that is definitely Devontae Smith. Um, I know people, and we, you know, we all saw he weighed in today as of, you know, 421. So April 21st, he weighed in at 166 pounds. And that definitely would probably worry people. But I would say this, and this is how I watch film and how I evaluate things. I don't look at height. I don't look at weight when I'm watching the film. I let their film tell me who the player is. And I just write notes off of based, based on what I see. So if I saw anything from a physicality standpoint that would have been an issue, then I would note that, oh, man, you know, lack of weight has him struggling here and there. I really felt like there was no area where he struggled. I can't think of one thing that he struggled with. Now, I'm not saying he's just this perfect prospect or anything like that, but I'm just saying based on the film, if you, you know, the first thing I want to look at, well, you know, how does he move? Okay, he moves well. Okay, does he have vertical speed? Yeah, he's beating Stingley just running right by him. Like, so he definitely has the vertical speed really good. Oh, damn, you know, he's good after the catch. Great, okay. Um, can, does he play through contact? Oh, okay, he plays through contact. How is he with 50-50 balls? Oh, he's great at, with 50-50 balls, and he, like, pretty much jumped on everybody in the SEC's head, including a 6-4 cornerback from South Carolina. Like, so I'm looking at all these things, I'm making all these, I'm checking off all these boxes, and I'm like, well, you know, I know he's skinny, but where does it hurt him? And I think that's what I would challenge people, you know, because really that's their biggest knock on him. Oh, he weighs 170 pounds or whatever. But, like, all right, well, now, now show me, anywhere on film where that's been an issue and show me where it's more so an issue for him than it is for anyone else. Because I can point out times where any of these other prospects get pressed. Are we going to say it's because of their lack of size or whatever? No. We're just going to say, well, maybe the cornerback won on that rep because the corners in the SEC are pretty good. Right. And I thought more so than anybody, he was probably the most consistent with winning than any other receiver I've seen, like probably in the last couple of years. So it was, it was really good stuff. And, um, yeah, if, if it was one guy, it definitely would be him. It's, it's nuts how people just will say, yeah, you know, he's going to struggle with press. But it really, like, I did not see that on film. His release package is so extensive and he's so smooth. Is there anything you attribute that to? Is it just concentration? Is it footwork? I mean, cause his ability to get off the line and then stack is it's really remarkable. Yeah, so this is one thing I think sometimes that, like, casuals and, I mean, I guess even some – like the experts that do like the draft writing and stuff like that, what they don't understand is the smaller guys are the harder guy, hardest guys to press. Like it's easy to press the big guys. It's easy to get hands on them. The smaller guys, like if you try really hard to get your hands on a uh, Devonte Smith or um, a Jalen Waddle, who's only what five, nine, 180 pounds. Like you try really hard to get those hand, your hands on these guys. And what happens is you stop your feet. And if you stop your feet on somebody that is, quick and elusive and slippery if you stop your feet and if you just don't, and you don't manhandle them they're gone and there is no recovering so those are the toughest guys because you have to play with the hands i mean your feet first so you'll hear me say a lot of times feet before hands you want to use your feet to get in position to be able to get hands on that type of guy but even then uh Devontae smith is so crafty where he does a really good job of not really wasting time at the line of scrimmage, getting skinny. You'll see him dip his shoulder. And then, like you said, being able to stack receivers or get vertical. And then from there, he he can win with separation. Or like we've seen plenty of times, he can win at the catch point as well. So, um, But, yeah, typically, like, those smaller guys, people think those are the easier guys to press. They are the hardest guys. And I'd much rather line up against a 6'3", 220-pound receiver at the line of scrimmage than a six-foot, 170-pound guy that's much quicker and twitchier. Yeah, that's excellent stuff, Croc. And it's funny because I actually heard you talk a little bit about this on another podcast. I believe it was Giants Huddle. And I talked about this on one of our podcasts then a week later because I was like, listen, I, and you're not the first person I've, who I've heard said that. Or no, I'm sorry, you are the first person I heard said. And then I heard another corner who was breaking down this class say the exact same thing. And I was like, light bulb goes on in my head. And I'm like, wait, wait a second. Everyone's saying Jamar Chase is the hardest to cover and hardest to press and gets the separation the quickest off the line of scrimmage. I don't know. I think I'm going to trust the NFL corners on this one. And you watch Morris Smith and you see all the things you were talking about. In addition to the fact that he tracks the ball well, really well vertically. And in my opinion, not only does he 
win in contested 50 catch 50-50 situations. He also high points the ball really well and has great yeah. concentration and footwork in those spots. Like he'll get his feet in and he'll constant and he'll make these catches where it requires something that, you know, is intangible. It's not like the 40 times, I'm sorry, it's not like his pro day is ever going to show you what a guy can do in the air when it comes to coming down with a catch that requires a lot of concentration. So really interesting stuff there. I do want to touch a little bit more, though, on the receivers. How about Jalen Waddle? Because Jalen Waddle is a player that I know Nick is really excited about. And I believe, honestly, when the Giants are on the clock at 11, Jamar Chase won't be there, ultimately, but he could, but he could. It's not, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion, but let's start with Waddle here. What do you see when you watch him? You know, with Jalen Waddle, obviously, like, he has special stuff. And I don't throw out the, you know, the Tariq Hill comparison a lot because I know that's that's what everybody, you know, anytime there's a speedster, they want to compare him to, to Tariq Hill. And when you watch Jalen Waddle, I would say he's probably the closest thing to Tariq Hill I've seen, right? Like, now some people want to compare him to, like, Henry Ruggs or, oh, Henry Ruggs was like Tariq Hill. No, 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 he wasn't. Henry Ruggs was a long strider. And I thought he struggled to, like, uh, threaten corners. Uh, with his speed throughout routes consistently. So you watch him against, you know, uh, is, um, LSU and watch how, uh, Christian Fulton was guarding him. And he was guarding him as if he was a four or five guy, right? Now you, you can't do that with, uh, Jalen Waddle because he does a really good job of using his speed as a threat on every single rep. I think he has really nice twitch to him. Um, and he's almost like a like if you get him the the ball in his hands on like a screen, he's almost like a jitterbug. Like he's really quick in and out of his uh, breaks. He's crafty in that way. He's able to kind of find like the smallest of creases and kind of explode through to pick up a few more yards. He does that extremely well. Um, I think he plays big at the catch point. I think he does a terrific job of high pointing the ball and not really worrying about if he's going to take a hit or not. He checks the ball in well from that standpoint. I do think his hands aren't maybe as natural as maybe like a Devontae Smith, who I think has like amazing hands, but he's definitely plus, a plus with his hands, and I think he does a good job uh, with that standpoint. Um, overall, he's really good. I'd see the one kind of knock that I see on it, uh, from him is for somebody that is quicker, twitchier, faster than everybody. I think guys are able to get hands on him a little too much, and the, I, I see a clear reason why. He tries to win every single rep with speed. So what I mean by that there is like with him there is no like oh, I'm going to move this cornerback off you know the off his spot or you know I'm going to give him this and then get skinny it's just you know what, I'm just going to run by you or you know and like every route is like him oh, I'm just going to run by you I'm just going to run by you and I think he definitely needs to learn like the little nuances of like his releases and learning how like how his release can like affect a cornerback and get him to move off his spot once he does that he's going to be a lot of trouble for the NFL um and I think a big reason to that is that he wasn't really forced to do a whole lot of that because he played in the slot. And when you're in the slot, you face more off coverage. You face more, um, you know, favorable matchups with safeties and, like, linebackers in space. So he wasn't really asked to do a whole lot of that. So, But once once he has to, like, kind of focus in on that and get better at that, I think he's going to be he's gonna be pretty tough to stop. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of Jalen Waddle, and when I turned on that game against Missouri, the first game Alabama played in 2020, you see him jumping over guys like Gillespie and just making these really tough contested catches. You're like, this guy's definitely more than just a speed type of receiver. But I wanted to ask you, Eric, uh, about just sleepers in this class, and um, I'm wondering if you have a favorite sleeper, somebody who could be around on day three. We have a couple on this podcast that we like, but I wanted to get your opinion on who would be your favorite day three type of sleeper at the wide receiver position. Oh, I kind of like Jonathan, Jonathan Adams, um, the receiver from Arkansas State. Um, he's somebody who, watching him, he reminds me a ton of Brian Brian Edwards from last year's South Carolina, and I was high on Brian Edwards. I think Jonathan Adams uh, gives me, like, some of those same type of vibes. I think he does a really good job of mixing up his releases at the line of scrimmage. I think he knows how to play fast. I think he plays big at the catch point, does a terrific job of that. Like, you can watch um, every game that you watch, he's, like, jumping over somebody in the end zone and or down the sideline and doing a good job of making plays there. I thought when he played against Georgia in 2019, it was like, man, like, the quarterback had no chance, but he was doing everything possible to try to, like, take over that game, whether they were throwing screens to him, slants to him, goal routes to him. He made plays at every level. So he's somebody that um, I definitely really like. And if, if I were to say, like, maybe a steal day three, maybe somebody that might not even go to, like, the fifth round or maybe even the sixth round because I don't think he tested extremely well, he's somebody that I would really like to, like, pick up um, later in the draft. 
And how about and it's interesting you say that because even the testing checks out. I mean, he had 87 percentile vertical jump, 39 inches, 96 percentile. 132-inch broad jump, and I was really high on Edwards as well. I think injuries kind of slowed him down during his rookie year, but I don't think you should be giving up on him if you're in dynasty leagues and fantasy football, anything like that, because I'm with you on that. But how about maybe a day two guy you like? So not those big – after the big three, because I think the Giants can go one of two routes in this draft class. I think it's where both Nick and I have settled in. They're either going to take the best value at 11, which is going to be Devontae Smith or Jalen Waddle. Or they're going to reach on edge, and they're going to try to get an edge pass rusher. And in that case, I think they're going to be in the market for a receiver right away at pick 42. So maybe give us a guy who could slide into day two on Friday night that you like at wide receiver outside of those big three. I think two guys that could could potentially be like in that spot, um, and they may be there, they may not. We'll see how the draft kind of falls. But Terrace Marshall from LSU, really like him. Um, I think he has terrific versatility, be able to play outside, play inside. Now, he's kind of like the forgotten man from LSU, uh, you know, on a team with uh, Jefferson, who have 1,400 yards as a rookie, on a team with Jamar Chase, who everybody loves and was extremely productive. Well, he had like 13 touchdowns that year, <laughs> you know, so like, it was like he's no spouse either. And he was kind of like solely an outside receiver during that year, but played extremely well. You know, we talk about, you know, being able to threaten guys vertically. Obviously, he ran a 4-3-8 at his pro day. Um, I thought – on film that that speed, I don't want to say like it's a four three, but if you were to tell me he ran a four four five laser, I would believe it. Thought he did a good job of winning vertical and did a good job running routes from that standpoint. Um in two thousand twenty, obviously he opted out after like playing what, six or seven games. Um but I think even then he did a really good job of they used him everywhere where it was like, okay, we have no Jefferson, we have no Chase. Let's use him everywhere. They used him on the outside. They used him in the slot. I thought he was crafty. I thought he did a really good job of, like, being able to change pace. Obviously, like, use his body to be able to shield defenders off and make catches, like, in the end zone. He did a really good job of winning vertically, being able to just run past and run through defenses, vertically track balls in, and have really good run after the catch. Um, I think some, he's somebody that, like, you know, at 6'3", like 200 pounds or whatever he is, he's somebody like I could see being like a wide receiver one in the NFL. He kind of reminds me of like Riley Ridley coming out, but like more a more explosive version of Riley Ridley who probably would have been a higher draft pick. Um, and then I would say uh, Diami Brown. Like he's one of my favorite receivers in this class. And, again, he's another guy who you know, I can't say for certain he's going to be there, um, you, know, in the, in, you know, at the top ten of the second round. But if he is – um, he's he's legit, and I think what people are missing with him is North Carolina. Uh, they had the same office coordinator as DK Metcalf did at LSU um, at Ole Miss when DK was there. Where you know you're like, well, limited route tree, right? Only runs uh, ten yard stop go routes and uh, occasional out route or whatever, right? And I think you see that initially when you watch Dami Brown, but as you continue to dig deeper and deeper, you start looking at his movement skills and his ability and the twitch and his ability to change up his releases at the line of scrimmage. Some subtleties that he has in this game that maybe go unnoticed with like half steps, understanding how to attack cornerbacks leverage. Um, I think he does that well. Obviously, he's a really good vertical threat. Um, when he really wants to get on his horse and push vertically to get the corner to open up and sit his routes down. He's a terrific job of doing that to be able to create separation. And then he works back to the ball extremely well, trusting his hands to make catches. Um, I think overall his game is really good. And when he gets to the NFL, if he gets with a coordinator that isn't going to just leave him on the left side and tell him to run three routes and they do things like, hey, let's motion him down into a stack and do these different things with him. Let's throw screens to him. Let's figure out – let's line him up in a slot sometimes, like do those different things with him. I, I, to me, when I was watching him, I'm like, oh, man, this is like Devontae Adams. So, like, I think he has that type of ability. He's a guy that I really, really like. Wow, I love I love how you broke that down. First of all, the potential ceiling of a Devontae Adams is, <laughs> is, is, is definitely intriguing. But at the same time, I love how you broke that down because I think one of the biggest misconceptions that I see in draft coverage, uh, among the fans, among really everything that goes into the whole pre-draft season is this idea that you see a lot of these negative reports on limited route tree, right? He runs a limited route tree, but people don't take the time to break down why he ran that limited route tree. Like you could have had that same concern, like you said about DK Metcalf, but just because he has a limited route tree doesn't mean he can't run those routes that he wasn't correct to run. 
And Correct. I think that's a huge spot for you to gain massive value there because if you get a player like this who hasn't shown, I guess, on film that he can run that full route tree but has shown it in the way that you've seen it, like with his movements, with his twitch, with weight, with his nuances in his releases off the line of scrimmage, well, now you could be hitting big on a player because if he was asked to do that full route tree in college, well, then he would be going 25, 30 picks higher. And something like if that. he went to a different school that would, like, say he went to, like, Alabama who – they do a ton with their receivers, right? I mean, they, they use them all over. They're motioning them to tight splits. They have really creative uh, route combinations. If he went to a school like that, he would go crazy. He would have went crazy. So, yeah, he, he kind of missed out going to North Carolina, having that offensive coordinator. Their their offense really did a good job of, you know, showing who their running backs are, but did not do a great job of showing all the capabilities of what their receivers could do. Now someone can get a steal. Hopefully it's the New York Giants, yep. to be honest. That would be awesome. And there's one more receiver I want to ask you about, Eric, before we transition to the corners, and that's Amon Ross St. Brown from USC. What are your uh, opinions of his skill set and what he could do possibly in the NFL? Yeah, you know, it's funny watching him. Like, he's not, like, the most, like, twitched-up guy. Obviously, like, you know, he's a little bit – he's not, like, huge. And then you look at his pro day, he didn't run very fast. But I thought, like, on film, he's, like, a like your ideal slot where he's tough – He's physical. You know, he is able to win vertical. Um, he is able to win vertically, excuse me. Um, you know, he has, like, strong hands. You you can do things to where he can line up on the outside if, if that's where you want to play him as well. Like, I don't think he has to be like this one-trick pony to where he's just, oh, I always have to play in the slot. I think ideally you play him there. But, you know, we, we've seen in the red zone him be a threat. I watched one game where he scored, like, four touchdowns in the first quarter and had, like, four catches. <laughs> and I was like, dang, this is crazy. Like, he's going crazy, scored again. Like, you know, so he has, like, that type of ability to kind of um, be really good and be a playmaker. I'd say if I had to compare him to, like, one guy, I think the Giants are very familiar with a player like him, Sterling Shepard. I think he's that type of player. And obviously, like, Shepard has been, you know, a decent guy when healthy. And I think Sam Brown is kind of similar to that. Awesome stuff, Croc. All right, let's transition to a little bit of this corner class, and then we're going to let you go. But I want to start by asking you, who's your corner one in this class? If you had to pick one guy, I'm going to put you on the spot just like I did with wide receiver. All right, so my, my corner one is different from the guy that I think overall had the best film. And I would say, like, if it's just one guy, and it's like, okay, I want this guy. And it's J.C. Horn because not only does he have the ability, he has a size, he, but I love the way that he's able to take on challenges, right? You know, it's like, you know what, Seth Williams, this isn't part of our game plan, but I'm going to make it part of our game plan, and I'm guarding Seth Williams all game. I'm going to make you quit. I'm going to make life tough on you, and he made plays in that game. I think we saw him take on other challenges, guarding Elijah Moore in the slot. Like, we're talking about a 6'1", 205-pound corner that's like, you know what, I'm just going to line up in the slot. I'm going to play this guy. Now, you look at the stats – Against him, and I think Elijah uh, Elijah Moore had like five catches or something like that. But it was like five catches for like thirty yards or something like that. Like it was like all like little like he made him work for every inch, every yard. And that's a guy who's not supposed to be ideally good in a slot against a much smaller, quicker. Remember, I said those are the hardest dudes to guard. And I thought he did a really good job of challenging him, challenging him from that standpoint. Did have a pass interference call on him where I was like, oh man, that's BS, man. That was good coverage. So um, you know, just. The challenges that he takes on, even if it's not, like, a favorable matchup for him, for who he is and how he's built, I think he still, like, takes on those. And then, like, I've been in secondaries like that where when you have guys with that type of mindset and that ability, you can't help but to take on that same mindset as well and start playing more like that per player. And, I've again, I've been in those situations where it's like maybe I wasn't the most aggressive corner or whatever, but then it's like, man, this guy, he takes on that mindset. I got to step my game up. I think he's somebody that will tra like change your entire secondary and change their mindset and have everybody playing with that same type of physicality. And then when you have the best corner on your team working as hard as he does, somebody that came from having a dad who was a Pro Bowl wide receiver and him still working and grinding and, and being relentless with his work ethic the way he is, that thing that's kind of infectious to the rest of the uh, defensive back room. So that that's somebody I'm, I'm really high on, just because he has a lot of things that you just can't teach. Absolutely, and I'm imagining you said uh, he's not the number one for your film. Is your number one for your film Patrick Sertain? Oh no, sir. Oh, who that? Who's, who's one? Okay. Oh, uh, um, um, uh, Greg Greg Newsom uh, from uh, Northwestern. 
Wow. You know what? I was actually going to ask you about Newsom in about five minutes. So if you want to dive into what you really love about him, that would be amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think with him, I, I thought watching his film, he's probably the most scheme versatile corner in this class. And what I mean by that is somebody who can like just play all over. Like you can and any style of defense. So, you know, with J.C. Horn, um, Patrick Sertain, those are guys that I probably would prefer play more at the line of scrimmage. That's not to say they can't do other things, but I would prefer to play them more impressed at the line of scrimmage, that type of thing. With Greg Newsom, he can play press. I thought he played there extremely well. I thought he showed really good movement skills and fluidity, good feet from a press standpoint. thought he challenged himself vertically extremely well where he was sitting on underneath routes, but also did a really good job of turning and running with vertical routes. thought he did that extremely well. And from off coverage, he was just as good as he was press. Um, he could be seven, eight yards off. And I thought he challenged himself in space with his feet to where sometimes, like, if you can't anticipate a route, but you just want to let your feet do the uh, thinking for you, I think he did a really good job. That's the best way I can explain it. Sorry, guys. But um, he does a really good job of that, being able to um, transition in and out of double moves, um, you know, attack the ball in the air, make plays on guys that are bigger. When I was watching him, I'm like, damn. Remember, I don't I don't pay attention to height or weight or anything before watching the film. Like I want the film to take notes. So I had no idea how big he was. I'm like, okay, this dude, 5'10", 185 pounds, but I like the way he plays, attacks the ball. Man, come to find out, he's six foot, 197 pounds. I'm like, wow, like that's a plus because I was comparing him to Jair Alexander, and I walked away from his film thinking damn this is a bigger Jair Alexander with the way he plays the confidence that he plays with the swagger and all that so I think with him the biggest thing that teams will have to worry about is maybe like his medical history and I can't talk about any of that I don't know anything about that but as far as everything else that he brings I, I really like his film a whole lot just most game versatile guy can play press can play off um zones I, I don't think it matters I think you can plug and play him in any type of defense and he probably give you some versatility as a uh, slot guy as well now he does lack a little bit of burst out of his break a little bit I think that's what I'm saying so um we'll see if he's somebody that can like play like I don't want to say full-time in the nickel but maybe be a guy like Chris Harris who lines up in the outside and base and maybe goes in a slot in nickel situations we'll see if somebody wants to do stuff like that with him but just overall what I saw from him I, I just really liked his film that's some awesome stuff there Croc and he tested out really well, too, with a 40-inch vert and a 4-3-8 uh, 40-yard dash. And what a world we live in where two Northwestern prospects might be going in the first round. Everyone who listens to this podcast knows that I'm a Big Ten guy. I'm a Wisconsin Badger alumni, and I've watched a lot of North- Northwestern football. Never did I expect two prospects to come off of the board in the first round. <laughs> it's really interesting to see with, with what you say both about Newsom and with what you've said about Horn. I mean, just from a different standpoint, for those of us, those of you listening to the podcast who are also gamblers, I know that's a lot of you, you could probably get Newsom, you could probably get Horn at plus odds right now to be the first corner off the board, and everyone's assuming it'll be Patrick Sertan, but I don't know if that's so sure if you now listen to the people who actually played the game and who have evaluated the game. Again, the mocks this year are going to be way off. This is going to be the least accurate the mocks have ever been with the amount of information that's missing compared to usual. So it'll be interesting. But one thing I wanted to get with you, get on with you, uh, Crocker, before we let you go, you mentioned Tyson Campbell in addition to Patrick Sertan. This was recently, I think you said this today, as the most patient cornerbacks you've watched at the line of scrimmage. Can you expand on what that means and why it's important to the cornerback position? Oh, man. Um, like I said, like, guarding, you know, different style of receivers and stuff like that, sometimes, like, they can speed up your clock. And and what I mean by that is sometimes, like, if a guy is really quick and twitchy and he kind of gives you a move and you kind of react to that, and then it's like, well, dang, now I have to react to my reaction and kind of correct myself, and you can kind of get sped up a little bit in your your mind. Um, And instead of reading a receiver down, now your clock is sped up and you're kind of just chasing, and at that point your kind of technique goes out the window. Where these two guys – it feels like when I'm watching, no matter what somebody gives them at the line of scrimmage, it's like they just don't move. And that's hard. Like, that's so hard to do that. It's so hard to consistently do that. Like, to where it's like, dude, I'm not even going to react to anything that you're giving me. I'm just going to let you do your thing. And then I'm just going to comfortably just get in position to get hands on. And I thought those dudes did that more consistent than anybody I've seen, like, in a long time, where it was just like, man, they are really good at just being patient at the line of scrimmage not even really going for anything, not really getting outside of their, you know, their body to where they just get whooped off the line of scrimmage and just staying there and just getting hands on. I think that's what makes 
you know, Sertain's so good as well where, you know, everybody, you know, talks about him. Oh, he's so technically refined, technically refined. But, like, that's the biggest thing. I think people worried a lot about, like, maybe his vertical speed. And what I would say to that is, like, he has good vertical speed. I, I saw that on film. The issue I think that people are seeing is he's not as twitched up or sudden, which typically isn't going to be the case for a 6'2", 288-pound cornerback. But as far as, like, his anticipation, I thought was really good. And, his, and, his, and I thought Alabama – knew exactly how to use him like look we're not going to put him off too much um if we are off is you know let's keep everything in front of you you don't really have to challenge yourself from that standpoint um you, you're not going to see him playing off and square to where guys have a two-way go on him and now he's going to have to like have good feet and react in space they weren't going to have him be that type of guy but i thought with the way they utilized him they did a really good job of kind of playing him to his strengths and again i think he is more somebody that I would ideally want to play more at the line of scrimmage, but you know, a team that wants to play a little bit of cover two, um, maybe play some cover four where he's able to kind of play with his butt to the sideline a little bit and like bail out. I think he can do that well, but um, definitely like you know, as we kind of started talking about like just his patience at the line of scrimmage along with Tyson Campbell is like extremely good, really off the charts. That's awesome to hear. And I wanted to ask you, Eric, about uh, just your sleeper cornerback. We did it for the wide receiver. I was wondering if we could do it for the cornerback position. Do you have a favorite sleeper in this class? Yeah, man. Um, and I kind of just posted about it today too. That's um, Elijah Griffin, right? And his dad's Warren G. So you guys remember that regulator song. So, but um, Elijah Griffin, he's out of USC and it's like, dang, nobody is talking about him. Now he's not big. And again, I don't look at height, weight. I got to try to find like maybe his measurables on film. He didn't look like the biggest guy. I'd say about five eleven you know, 185 pounds or so, like, he wasn't, like, big. I think what's hurting him as well is he didn't test well. So if you look at, like, his spider graph, it probably looks like trash. Um, Leading up to his pro day, he had got COVID. So he had to sit out, you know, due to COVID protocols, two weeks. And, like, with, like, the next day off of his – when he was off of protocol, he had to go work out. And he just didn't test extremely well. So I think that might kind of knock him a little bit. But when you watch his film – overall it's really good and I'm like man he's better than a lot of guys that people like talk about like like an Adebo or maybe like a Taylor from Washington um I thought like just watching his film from the games I watched because I probably watched about eight games I kind of went like deep with him um it was the best Pac-12 film that I saw from the cornerbacks and I know I mean that's including Adebo uh Taylor from Washington or even like the nickel um, Elijah Moden, which they're, they're different, right? They play different positions, but just in general, like just overall, as far as the defensive back, I thought Elijah Griffins was really good. So they're, you know, really good feet. He can play off. He's scrappy as hell. He wants to fight. And sometimes it kind of takes him out of games because a guy will be blocking him and he'd be just so worried about fighting a guy at the line of scrimmage and kind of showing he's not a punt that he forgets to get off the block and a guy just runs right by him. So he had to fix, <laughs> fix that. But aside from that, I thought he, you know, everything else he did extremely well. And, I want to say his PFF grades are really good. You guys have to look into that. Um, I go more off of film, not so much like PFF and those type of numbers. But um, he is somebody who I think is extremely underrated and probably can fall just due to maybe poor testing and people not really paying much attention to SEC. I mean, you uh, Pac-12. And I want to say, people, I'm probably thinking more of draft Twitter because you know it's it's the NFL's job to really go deep and turn over you know every stone. So. Um, we'll, we'll see where he ends up going, but I'd say if he's there day three, I think he's a terrific prospect and somebody that could potentially be a starter in the NFL. Good old draft Twitter. We all love it. Yeah, he's a former five-star. I haven't dove, uh, dove into his film, but that's definitely somebody I might want to get to before the draft. And I want to ask you about one more prospect, actually, Eric, and that's Kentucky's Kelvin Joseph. Have you watched any of him, and do you have anything to uh, say about his skill set? Because I haven't been able to really get eyes on. Yeah, so I watched um, Kelvin Joseph a good amount of games. I- I'd say it's it's very interesting. His best game was against Alabama. And if you're going to have a best game against anybody, like that's a great team to have it against because they have terrific players, right? And I think that game could just kind of show like what he could potentially be. I think the thing that's holding him back from, from just on film, I can't speak to who he is off the field. You know, I know he transferred from LSU. I've heard some different little weird things or whatever. I don't even want, I don't know. All right. But as far as just the film, the thing that kind of stood out to me the most is his Eye discipline is terrible. It's probably the worst eye discipline I've seen. And when, when I'm talking about eye discipline, I think it, it's like all the way around, whether he was a man, whether he's in zone. It's like at the top of routes, the first thing he does is get his eyes back to the quarterback. And he does it so often that sometimes he won't even break on the ball 
where, you know, where he won't even break on the receiver and drive the receiver out of his break because he gets his eyes to the quarterback and he'll just end up stopping his feet. And so I think a lot of his issues were due to poor eye discipline. I think when he has his eyes right, he's really good. And he, and, and he has like the size, he has the movement skills, he has all the ability, all that stuff checks out. But he has to get his eyes right. Now, I don't know what type of worker he is or how his ma- mental makeup is. If he is someone that is willing to really work on those type of things, then he can be a really good day two pick and somebody that can be re- a good starting cornerback in the NFL. Now, if he isn't a hard worker, which, again, I don't know. I, I don't know the answer to this. But if he's not that relentless worker and he has these bad habits, then he's just going to be somebody that's going to be extremely inconsistent in the NFL and probably just won't play much. Awesome stuff, Crack. Thank you for so much for taking the time with us. And for those who missed it, yeah, he did say that. That was <laughs> Elijah Griffin is Warren G's son. That, that's news to me, and that's probably the coolest thing I heard on this pod. But I'll wrap it up by also saying we had some awesome discussion here. I really liked what you said. As we as we're talking right now, like yeah. you literally just one minute ago retweeted my video of his son. So. <laughs> <laughs> Warren G did it. <laughs> Warren G cool. did it or, or Elijah did it? Warren G. Did uh, Warren G. <laughs> did you ever think you can get retweeted by Warren G? Uh, man, like, <laughs> I no, not at all. <laughs> and this draft Twitter stuff has kind of opened up a lot of doors for me. Yeah. Got me to meet with a lot of people and be able to network with a lot of people. It's been really cool. And you would think, like, you know, I was in the NFL and, I, you know, I had that time and I played pro ball for some years um, that, you know, things like that wouldn't phase me. But, you, you know, we're all normal people, so – just getting having an interaction with Warren G is still like hella cool. It's still <laughs> awesome, man. All right, thanks so much. This was Eric Crocker, former NFL AFL cornerback, currently the owner of Rise Athletics in Arkansas. The Crocker Report, Croc Talk for Game Film. You can find that on YouTube. You can find those game film breakdowns there, as well as his Patreon. And then finally, follow him over at the Striking Gold Podcast which is also Blue Wire, and obviously on Twitter, that's Eric underscore Crocker. Thanks so much for joining us, man. Have a great rest of your night. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.